How are we doing, guys? This is Parker Kirk with the Go Sox and On The John podcast, podcast about the Boston Red Sox. It's just going to be me today. We're going to be talking about the Red Sox as they have been playing baseball over the last few series. Now, it's been a while since we talked. A lot has happened in that time. And uh, what I really want to focus on this episode is mostly this past series that we just witnessed against the Seattle Mariners. Now, Going into this series against the Seattle Mariners, I don't think many Red Sox fans were very, I'll say, optimistic moving going in. And that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, coming off of that series against the Cardinals where we got swept in just absolutely heartbreaking fashion, and it was a really reminiscent series of the, uh, of the pretty terrible uh, 2022 uh, season in which... The Red Sox consistently were just losing baseball games because they could not bring bullpen arms in that could lock down leads. I always think back to to the one game against the Orioles in Fenway Park where the game was in hand and then Sour Morris skies a a throw, basically throws it into the stands over Devers' head as he tries to throw third base. It's just not a great... It wasn't a great look in 2022, but that has been a lot different in 2023 especially with the addition of Kenley Jansen the incredible closer that we've had the benefit of watching all year just has been so good has seen really kind of a reemergence as a player since he came to Boston I mean he was he was a great last season like I'm gonna go ahead and pull up his numbers with the Braves last season and pull up his baseball reference page and he just he wasn't encouraging uh he wasn't the Kenley Jansen that we are used to seeing, really. And that really stinks because, I mean, as we saw during the Braves series, the two-game Braves series that the Red Sox were able to split before they played the Cardinals, Kenley was able to record his 400th career save, which is so cool for him, awesome for him to do it in a park where he grew up as a fan with his family there. Like, you, you just couldn't think of a better situation for that guy. And to do it against the team that he played with last season and, and had a non-Kenley Jansen kind of uh, a season there. Joins the Red Sox. Sees like a three-mile-per-hour increase in velocity, really, this season, which maybe is good for him, maybe isn't. But over the course of his career, I mean, he's a 19.9 war relief pitcher. Like, to see those numbers from a guy who only gets to play me, like, to play half the games that a team plays as a relief pitcher is almost impossible. So he's, I mean, all right, so let's look at his numbers from last season. So he played in 64, excuse me, 65 games last year. And he had 41 saves. He had a 3.38 ERA. Now, that's crazy to think that a 3.38 ERA is just not that great of a year for a guy who was able to put up 41 saves and 54 chances last year. But it is pretty awesome to see how well he's doing this year. The numbers the numbers are bad now, okay? And I know that people are going to be like, oh, yeah, but Parker, he's got a 4.26 ERA this so far for the Red Sox. Those numbers are pretty skewed right now. These last two outings have definitely hurt him. Uh, up until very recently, he hadn't even given up a run. He had one blown save in like nine attempts or something like that. He's been doing extremely, extremely well. 
So one thing I want to bring attention to is last year, in a down year, Kenley Jansen recorded 41 saves, which is, which was uh, the American League lead, or excuse me, National League lead for saves last season, and is also tied for the year in 2017 when he had 41 saves, and he came in fifth in in um, uh, National League Cy Young voting with the Dodgers. He had, he was at fifth in Cy Young voting in 2017 and he was also 15th in MVP voting so in a down year last year 41 saves we are right around the quarter we are just past the quarter mark as far as the MLB season goes he's already got nine saves for the Red Sox so it looks like he's right on pace to uh to to hit if not exceed his 35 save career average that he has been uh that he has been hitting ever since he came up with the Dodgers in 2010 but I digress, got that 400 save, and really happy for him. Now, coming out of a very disappointing series with the Cardinals, moving into this series against the, the Mariners, that Cardinals series, I mean, you had two wins. You won, you played winning baseball for eight innings and then losing baseball for one. And you did it two days in a row. And Kenley Jansen was the GOAT in that situation. You know, it's weird using the word GOAT as a bad thing because back before 2023, the word GOAT was was much more used as a bad thing than a good thing, but he was the reason you lost those two first two games against the Cardinals. Uh, they, you come in with a lead, you give your closer a safe situation, and he blows it two days in a row. Not ideal, but uh, I have every faith that Kenley can uh, can figure it out moving forward. Um, definitely not somebody that I am worried about going uh, going ahead with this uh, with this season. He was able to get his 400th career save. He had a couple rough outings. Like Alex Cora said in his interview, you know, Kenley has had a, he had a very emotional few days right after, leading up to and right after his 400th save. So I don't even know if going with him two days in a row was uh, the best decision, especially not when you have a guy like Josh Winkowski in the bullpen that was ready that day. Uh, it is what it is. You lose those two games against the Cardinals. Hopefully you don't miss a playoff spot by two games. That would be really uh, disappointing from the Red Sox perspective. But all faith in Alex Cole, all faith in, all faith in Kenley Jansen to figure it out moving forward. So moving into this Mariner series, you know, after getting swept by a team like the Cardinals, it was really disheartening um, to go up against a team that with as good starting pitching as we were going to face in, uh, in that Mariner series. So... Game one, the Red Sox go up against George Kirby. George Kirby, for those of you who don't know, has been absolutely bananas this season uh, for the Seattle Mariners. He has been able to go out and produce all season long for that Mariners team. Now, when you go up a guy against a guy like George Kirby, you know, you're obviously very hopeful. You're obviously very, you know, tied into what the result's going to be. But at the end of the day, when George Kirby goes out there and let's look at his line from the game because it was absolutely ridiculous. Kirby comes out, he pitches six and two-thirds innings of one-run baseball. Six and two-thirds innings of one-run baseball. That's, that's really good. He gave up eight hits. Again, one run, it was an earned run. He only walked one, he struck out six. 
faced 27 batters, threw 97 pitches. I mean, at the end of the day, George Kirby's having a fantastic season. Uh, if we just go ahead and look at his stats for 2023, he's already got he's already accumulated 1.5 B WAR, uh, wins above replacement. For those of you who don't troll baseball reference in your spare time like I do, um, he has a 2.45 ERA in his eight games started, and he has 51 innings pitched in that time. That those are very very good numbers. Okay. So when you go into a game against a George Kirby, you, you're you not really saying like, okay, we're definitely going to lose. Uh, we're okay with that. Obviously, that's never the mentality. But going into a game against George Kirby, you understand what can happen. Now, losing 10-1 to 1 is never in, in the cards, right? And losing 10-1 to 1 is never something that you want to happen in that situation. Um, but it's definitely something that, that you understand is on the table. He's been breaking out in a big way, and I'm uh, really happy for him because George Kirby's one of my favorite uh, young pitchers in baseball today, especially for a team as likable as the Mariners. It's cool to see him doing good things. And game two, you go up against Luis Castillo, and this was another one of those games that was like, oh, man, we're, we are not going to have a good time. Well, Luis Castillo surprised a lot of people when he came in, pitched five innings, gave up seven runs, five of them earned on five hits. And gave up three home runs while doing it. That's not the result that you expected to see coming out of the hand of a guy like Luis, Luis Castillo. You expect him to come out and, and kind of shove. Especially against a, a team that was scuffling like the Red Sox had been against the Cardinals. And then in that first game only putting up one run against Kirby. So it was really nice to see the Red Sox offense come out like that. And put up nine runs on a team like the Mariners. They put up four runs in the first inning against Luis Castillo. Four runs. And, I mean, when you look at the production, Justin Turner hit a home run off of Luis Castillo in the first inning. Justin Turner, the guy that your manager, Alex Cora, has come out and said that he is the linchpin. He is the fire starter for this offense. Justin Turner, who's in his first season with the Boston Red Sox after spending all those years as a Los Angeles Dodger. If you look at his career stats, I mean, look at him. He spent from 2014 to 2022 with the Los Angeles Dodgers. In that time, he was top 10 in MVP. He was, excuse me, and we'll, we'll do this. He was, he was a two-time All-Star, and he finished top 15 in MVP voting three times in three consecutive seasons from 2016, 17 to 18. MVP 9 and 17, MVP 8 and 18, MVP 14 and 19. Or any, uh, 18, I'm stupid. Okay. MVP 9 and 16, MVP 8 and 17, MVP 14 and 2028, and 2018. Like, the guy, his he was bred, born and bred. He started off his career in Baltimore, and then he moved to the Mets for a few years. But he really came into his own as a Los Angeles Dodger. Won a World Series with them in 2020. Say what you want about whether or not it was a Mickey Mouse World Series during a shortened COVID season. But at the end of the day, Justin Turner comes in. He starts leading this offense. And not to reiterate what you know every single podcaster in the world is saying about Justin Turner... But his numbers 
in relation to the man that he replaced, de facto hitting coach, leader in the clubhouse, J.D. Martinez, who's now also a Los Angeles Dodger. It feels like a trade, even though it wasn't a trade, you know? It's it's interesting to see the production that Justin Turner has been able to to put up have be have it be so similar to that of JD Martinez and yet still be able to contribute in the field defensively like he has this entire season. The guy's played three positions. He's played first base, he's played second base, and he's played third base. He fills the DH role very well. He has played in every single one of the Red Sox 43 games. This guy's 38 years old. And he has really come out into his own as far as contributing, like getting involved with the city of Boston. His wife ran the Boston Marathon. He has become a really big part of this Red Sox clubhouse. And it's it's really nice to see from a guy like Justin Turner, who was a relative unknown, you know, coming into this season. So that's really cool to see Justin Turner hit a home run in, in game two in the first inning and really kickstart what became the breakout game for a Red Sox offense that had been kind of slumping. They hadn't really been putting up the numbers that you want to see from a Red Sox offense. And it was just nice. It was nice to see that come from a guy like Justin Turner who came in and immediately started contributing at the level that he did. Uh, in game two, you also had home run from Tristan Cassis. He uh, he also hit his in the first inning off of Luis Castillo, and Jaron Duran also came out and hit himself his third home run of the season in the fifth inning off of Luis Castillo. So, I mean, the offense woke up, and a lot of the contribution comes from guys that you really, really want to see it come from. You know, the Red Sox have guys in the lineup right now that are contributing, and they're contributing every single day. You know, and like you, Alex Verdugo has his 869 OPS. Masataka Yoshida with his triple eight OPS, 888. Justin Turner, 760. He kickstarted that offense. You got a guy like Rafael Devers, 823. I think I would say that those are probably your four your four most sure bets. If you were to guess, if you were to, you know, open up one of the sports book, sports betting apps and be like, okay, what four hitters on the Red Sox this year will have an over an 800 OPS? You'd probably say those four names. Verdugo, Yoshida, Turner, Devers. Those are the guys that you need every single day to be your rocks in your lineup. But then you go further and you see the production that they're getting from guys outside of those four names. And a guy like Jaron Durant. Jaron Durant has a 991 OPS. 991 OPS. He has come up and absolutely raked. And it's so cool to see. Because Jaron Durant, for those of you who don't remember, a few years ago, Jaron Durant was down in Worcester playing for the AAA affiliate for the Red Sox. He was hitting home runs all over the ballpark. He was uh, a, a ridiculous power threat in a really big way. And then he came up to the big leagues and we we saw a side of Jaron Duran that we weren't accustomed to seeing, at least not from having watched all his games down in AAA. He came up and he was struggling. 
he struggled defensively. Now that comes from the fact that he came through the Red Sox minor league system as an infielder, and they converted him to an outfielder. And so he was still trying to learn the ropes and a new position. Uh, I mean, I have trouble when I'm playing in my adult softball league, moving from playing infield like I have my whole life to playing the outfield like I play on this team. Like, I have trouble playing adult slow-pitch softball. I cannot imagine, unless you were a freak athlete, being able to be able to move to the outfield and perform at a big league level, basically with only a few months' notice. Like, Jaron Duran was drafted as an infielder and moved to the outfield as a professional. And to me, that seems, that's, that's insane. Like, I mean, I know players do like do that, do that all the time. And that's what makes them professional athletes and makes me just some guy playing adult league softball. But to see him make the jump that he has made this season, I'm going to go ahead and pull up his uh, baseball savant page and we're just going to look because recently he finally got um, enough plate appearances to actually populate his baseball savant page and it is very impressive so when we when we look at this we can see the massive improvement that he has had since he came up not too long ago so we'll look at real quick we'll look at last year okay he was he was 25 years old and his now, his exit velocity numbers and things like that have not really changed. But if we look at standard stats, and I'm trying to get this to pull up. So, prior to 2023, in the three seasons that he's seen big league time, Jaron Duran had a 715 OPS. He was hitting 225. He had a 306 on base percentage. He needed a 409 slugging percentage. He had a grand total of eight home runs. And he accumulated 103 hits in three seasons. Now, they weren't full seasons. He wasn't playing every day. Okay. Now, those are replacement level numbers. Like, you are not anybody's first pick to play every day or even occasionally in the big leagues. The big thing for him has always been his speed. He can always accomplish things on the ground with his speed, both defensively and offensively. On the base pass, he's an absolute terror. I'd be interested to see how many of those 103 hits he accumulated in 2022 and before were in infield hits that he'd simply be out like an out for anybody else but because Jaron Duran is one of the fastest people in the big leagues for instance he is the 93rd percentile in the big leagues for sprint speed I'd be interested to see how many of his hits that he had prior to 2023 were just infield infield grounders that he that he beat out he's still doing that but that will actually inflate your stat lines and make you seem a little more appealing uh, if you're not actually, you know, making hard contact with the ball. In 2023, let's start again. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say these numbers one more time. He was hitting for a 252 batting average, a 306 on base percentage, and a 409 slug for a 715 OPS. That's prior to 2023. In 110 plate appearances in 2023. He has 35 hits, 3 home runs, 19 RBI, 7 stolen bases. He's hitting. Again, look, the, the, the improvement from prior to this year is insane. He's hitting 361, a 418 on base percentage, and a 588 slug. 
I don't know if StatCast is updated from yesterday's games, but he on StatCast, he has a 1,000 OPS. 1,006. That's his OPS. Anytime you have a 1-dot OPS, you are talking about an offensive weapon. Now, he's still striking out a lot, but that's less concerning in today's day and age. He's striking out. He's in the third, or excuse me, he's in the 34th percentile in K rate. So he is striking out. He's striking out more than, what is it, 66% of people in Major League Baseball, qualified hitters in Major League Baseball. So that's not great. That's not, that's not awesome. But everything else on this baseball savant page is red. 57th percentile average exit velocity. 79th percentile max exit velocity. 74% hard hit percentage. His expected weighted on base average is 85th percentile. His expecting batting average, 87th percentile. His expected slug, 75th percentile. 64th in barrel percentage. He's not walking a ton, but he's middle of the road. He's a 46th percentile uh, walk rate. 52nd percentile whiff percentage, so he's middle of the road. 82% chase rate. And that's one of the things I want to talk about with Jaron Durant. He is not chasing outside the strike zone. If you're going to beat him, you're going to have to miss his bat. You're going to have to fill the zone, and you're going to have to get it by him. And I love that about him. He's a young player that is showing maturity well beyond his years when you exhibit something like an 82nd percentile chase rate in the big leagues. These are the best baseball players in the world. Far none. 82nd percentile chase rate. That's awesome. Going against the going up against the best arms the world has to offer. He's not chasing balls outside the strike zone. Of course, 93rd percentile sprint speed. I went over that a little bit ago. But the other massive, massive improvement that cannot be understated for Jaron Durand is the fact that if you go on Twitter and you search Jaron Durant, or you go on YouTube and you search the words Jaron Durant, J-A-R-R-E-N-D-U-R-A-N, it will not take long before you find a clip of that man standing in center field trying to judge a fly ball and ends up landing like 40 feet behind him and Raymel Tapia goes sprinting around the bases for an inside-the-park grand slam because Jaron Duran misjudged an outfield fly as a center fielder. That was last season. This season, Jaron Duran is 86th percentile in outs above average in Major League Baseball. Last year, he didn't have enough playing time to have a full baseball savant page. But this year, the eye test has everything to say about Jaron Duran. Everything in the world. 86 percentile outs above average. He should be so proud of himself. Genuinely. It is remarkable to see. I'm going to pull up his spray chart from 2022. Yeah. An unbelievable amount of those hits in 2022. I would say at least half of his hits in 2022. Infield dribblers didn't get past the infield. And he beat them out. It's actually pretty insane. So that's that's 
just incredible to see from Jaron Duran. He's still getting, like I said, his share of infield hits, but he's spraying. He's hitting, he's hitting from left to right. He's got two doubles right down the left field line, the ones that have hopped into the stands at Fenway Park, and those are really cool to see because it means that he's waiting. He's letting pitches get deep in his hands, and he's flicking them over third base. Such a mature move from a guy who, at 26 years old, is just really coming into his own this season. Jaron Duran, you have every vote of confidence from me. I, I love to watch him as a player. He put on like 15 to 20 pounds of muscle in the offseason, and you know what? Hasn't slowed down. Is still one of the fastest sprinters in Major League Baseball, using it to his advantage in the field, using it to his advantage at the ba- on the base paths, and it's just it's 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 awesome to see. All right, all right. I'll stop ranting about Jan Duran. I love him. He's a great great baseball player, and uh, I can't I can talk about him for hours. But one thing I do also need to talk about: Game Three, Game Three of this series. So in game two, they touch up Luis Castillo. They end up taking the game nine to three, or excuse me, nine to four. In game three, the Red Sox, they went up against Marco Gonzalez. Now, Marco Gonzalez has been good to this point in the season. I want to give him all of his flowers. He deserves them. He was not good against the Red Sox. He was not good against the Red Sox. So what he was able to accomplish against the Red Sox. So to this point in the series or in the season, he has pitched he pitched 6 innings in both of his last couple starts. He gave up two earned run, two earned runs and three earned runs in both of his prior two starts. One of them being against the Houston Astros. Okay. This uh in all four of his prior starts this season, the the Mariners won the game. They won 9 to 2 against Detroit, they won 7 to 5 against Houston, they won 10 to 8 in 10 innings against the Toronto Blue Jays, and they won 5 to 3 against the Phillies. Now, in only one of those games did he get chased before the end of the fifth inning. That was against Toronto. Looks like they put up a bunch of runs against them. They put up eight runs. So that's actually an insane win for the Mariners. They put up eight runs by the end of the third inning. The Toronto Blue Jays put up eight runs against them by the end of the third inning, and then they were able to come back and win in ten innings. That's that's pretty awesome. Um just for a little bit of reference, his game score, which I love the game score metric. Um, you kind of have to see it a lot to get a feel for what it means, but just to, to put it out there, he pitched six innings, he gave up two earned runs with two strikeouts, and his game score was a 55 in his last start against the Tigers. So that's that's pretty okay. Pretty good. Um, his game score against the Red Sox this start in game three was six because he pitched 1.2 innings gave up 8 hits 8 runs all 8 of them earned walked 2 struck out 1 gave a home run 2 who? none other than that linchpin that fire starter that we talked about Justin Turner Justin Turner was able to chase was a big part of the reason the Red Sox were able to chase Marco Gonzalez after an inning in 2 thirds after giving up 8 runs he faced eight, or excuse me, he faced 15 batters. Walked two of them, struck out one. He faced 15 batters. Only seven of them. Uh, oh, yes, he faced 15 batters. Only five of them was he able to record an out. Really proud of the Red Sox offense during that game. 
Uh, so we had a home run from Justin Turner. We had doubles from Pablo Reyes hit two doubles, both of them off of the Green Monster. Alex Verdugo hit a double. Devers had a big RBI double. Just, just great production from these guys coming together and really producing in a series that you, you kind of, I don't want to say anything's a must win, okay? Um, it sucks to say anything in May could ever be considered a must win series. Like, that's, that's not what you want to hear. Uh, and I hate to watch the standings, you know, like you, you never want to be the guy who's standings watching in, uh, in May. But as of this moment, the Red Sox at three, four games over 500, they are 24 and 20 are sitting in last place in the AL East. Last place in the AL East at 24 and 20. I just want to point this out. The Boston Red Sox would be in first place in the AL Central. The first place Minnesota Twins in the AL Central are also 24 and 20. Like, the fact that that's even the case is insane to me. The Red Sox are eight games back in the AL East behind the Tampa Bay Rays with their same record they could be in first in the AL Central the AL Central for reference the team that's 8 games back of the AL Central it's the Chicago White Sox what's their record? 16 and 28 12 games below 500 but the Red Sox are also 8 games back sitting at 24 and 20. So while you don't want to say that any game in May is must win, it might be the closest it ever could be in May. Because what are you doing really is you're fighting for a wild card spot. You are you are constantly finding yourself in a dogfight for a wild card spot. And then that's tough. That is tough. Because going in and finding yourself in a must-win game in the playoffs is never ideal. Like, obviously. That's it's never ideal. You just increase the chances of that happening if the division is completely out of reach, basically from the jump. From the beginning of this season, the Tampa Bay Rays have been unstoppable. They have a 7.45 winning percentage right now. They are 32 and 12, currently rated at 99.9% odds to make the postseason. In May, they are 99.9% odds to make the postseason. That's insane. That is absolutely crazy to say. I'm trying to find the wild card standings right now. Here we go. MLB 23 standings. I don't know if they're going to show me wild card though. American League East. Wild card. Okay. So, as of this very moment, 
as of this very moment of the two wildcard spots available in the American League. Uh, yeah. So, in the American League, excuse me, the three, I should say, wildcard spots available in the American League, the Red Sox are half a game out of the wildcard. Now, of course, the season's going to end, and you're going to find yourself at a full game difference, but you never want to be a half a game out of the wildcard, regardless of whether it's May it's just you're such a fringe team at that point it's so hard to decide what what you know what's good it just seems so unfair <laughs> it seems so unfair to say that a team like the Minnesota Twins who is a division leader and has the same record as the Red Sox is currently a division leader. They, my brain's all getting all messed up here. I can't even... This Red Sox team wasn't supposed to be good, man. This Red Sox team was not supposed to be good. But the fact that they're this good is, has given me enough hope that it's so disheartening to see what has transpired half a game back half the game back well we are definitely going to see what it looks like moving forward because I personally do not think I just don't think that the Rays who have come out of the gate absolutely on fire I don't think they can keep it up. They have a, one, a plus 121 run differential. They scored 121 more runs than their competition this season. Now, maybe they are coming down to earth a little bit because they did lose six of their last 10 baseball games. So, maybe there's some hope there. We can see we can see what goes on. Uh, the Red Sox are half a game behind a wild card spot. Currently, the three wild card spots are held by Baltimore, Toronto, and the Houston Astros. Because in the AL West right now, the Texas Rangers have been have been holding their own. They are twenty six and seventeen, keeping Houston out of that division spot that a lot of people thought was basically Houston's to lose. Not a lot of people put a lot of stock in the moves that the Texas Rangers made over the last couple of years. Now we knew they added the Grum. Remains to be seen how long DeGrom is going to be out for. You know, main five starts. They won every single one of those five starts and then immediately goes on IL. Well, hopefully, hopefully he doesn't need Tommy John or anything like that. But it'll be interesting to see. So after those three games against the Seattle Mariners, the Red Sox now find themselves on the road. Coming to my neck of the woods. Coming to Southern California. Their next few games, they are going to be up against the San Diego Padres, which if you've been a Red Sox fan for a while, one of your favorite players was probably Xander Bogarts. It's going to be very bittersweet to see him in his new San Diego Padres uniform. It just, uh, just to, just to say how much this hurts. 
when you go to the Boston Red Sox baseball reference page, and there's the top 24 all-time players, which is right there as you scroll down the Red Sox page. Only one of those players on that page is not wearing a Red Sox uniform. And that's Xander Bogarts. Even Mookie Betts, who is currently an active player for the Los Angeles Dodgers, is wearing a Red Sox uniform. But the picture that's in uh, on this page is uh, Xander in his Padres uniform. <laughs> that stinks. But yeah, so if we look ahead to the Red Sox 2023 schedule, uh, on Friday, May 18th, we have James Paxton on the bump against Blake Snell. Um, Blake Snell, if I, if I remember correctly, has not been nails this season. He's a 4.61 ERA, and James Paxton has been, has been good. Dane Faxton put up a very, very good performance in his first return start in like three years. I hadn't thrown a baseball in like three years and put up a very, very good start. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say hopefully, hopefully, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i give my serious prediction at the end. I'll give my serious prediction at the end. Um, and then in on uh, Saturday, May 20th, the Red Sox send Chris Sale up against Joe Musgrove. That's a... Uh, 10-10 Eastern start. Um, I like Chris Sale in this matchup. Joe Musgrove has struggled this year, uh, and we will see what happens. And then on Sunday, May 21st, we have the Red Sox-Padres at 4-10 Eastern, and it is Corey Kluber for the Red Sox against Michael Waka, also seeing the Red Sox for the first time since he's been on the team uh, for the Padres. Now, looking ahead at this, at this series... Uh, I'm optimistic. I think the the Mariner series really put a mojo back in the clubhouse that was really necessary to have. I'm 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 optimistic. I think that the Red Sox go into San Diego. They've got the offense rolling. Justin Turner gets to play in that nice Southern California weather. Boys are going to be vibing. Uh, I have I have the Red Sox taking two out of three in this series. And I think that's going to be really important for them to go on this West Coast trip and and really show who's excuse me and really show who's boss. The good teams go to the West Coast and assert dominance. Alex Spear was talking about it on the broadcast the other day about how in 2004, before the Red Sox were able to break the curse and win the World Series for the first time in 86 years, there was a West Coast trip in August that they really just separated themselves from the pack. It was really a defining moment of the entire offseason. Offseason. The entire season. So, hopefully going to San Diego, seeing an old friend in Xander Bogart, seeing an old friend in Michael Waka, will, uh, it'll be enough motivation for guys like Verdugo, guys like Devers, guys like Duran, to really get involved, swing the bats, get some runs on the board, and let this, uh, and let these starters that it seem very promising, um, at least the first two, let them do their thing and hand it to this bullpen that has been just absolutely awesome this whole season. So I have the Red Sox winning two out of three. I think they take game one with Paxton on the mound. I think they take game two with Chris Sale on the mound against a struggling Joe Musgrove. And I think that they will lose Corey Kluber 
his start on Sunday the 21st because he did not look good in his last start and Michael Walker took a no-hitter into like the seventh inning. So that'd be a great guy to try to find a way to get him on your baseball team. I was not very happy this past offseason when Michael Walker went, walked away. I've had a soft spot for Michael Walker ever since his Cardinals days. I know the Red Sox were able to beat him in Game 6 of the 2013 World Series, but ever since then, to watch him kind of reinvent himself a couple years back with the Rays, have a decent season, a reliable season last year with the Red Sox, and then uh, to get to get brought on by the Padres. I mean, hopefully the Padres do well. I wish Michael Walker the best. I hope he makes a deep run in the playoffs with them, but it's not exactly... Uh, not exactly a guy that you're excited to face. After that series, the Red Sox are going to go ahead and play a few games in Los Angeles against the Angels. However that turns out is how it turns out. Uh, I am optimistic. I think that the Angels have a lot to prove, and uh, I don't think the Red Sox are the team to uh, to prove it against. Um, last time we played the Angels, there was a lot of weather involved, and I didn't. we didn't really get a good feel of how these two teams stacked up because it was just constantly raining and cold and gross and just not a great, not a great time playing baseball. Shohei Otani's star also got kind of dodged because I think he threw three innings and then the weather delay, so he couldn't go back out. So I think uh, a few games against the Angels in sunny Los Angeles, California, is going to be uh, is going to be a big, a big thing because the Angels have been okay, okay this season. They are an even five hundred. They're twenty two and twenty two, and they're in third place in the West. So. Those games will probably be pretty indicative of how good this team is as well, especially if they do end up having to go up against Shohei Otani, who's just the best baseball player that's ever lived. So I uh, appreciate you guys listening. Um, I'm going to go ahead and sign off here in a little bit. And uh, I hope you guys have a good one. Make sure you tune into these Red Sox games in San Diego. It's going to be really cool to see Xander Bogarts go up against his old team, going against his old buddies like Rafi, Verdugo, and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for this weekend. I'm not going to be able to watch a ton of baseball because I'm going to be running the Spartan race uh, on Saturday and Sunday, but I will probably be watching on Friday uh, before I head to bed. It's going to be weird. I'm not used, since I moved to California back in December, I'm not used to... Uh, I've, I've, I've actually adjusted to the 4 o'clock start time um, because that's basically when most Red Sox games start. So to have a game start at... 6.40 p.m. for me, and then 7 p.m., and then 4 p.m., or uh, 1 p.m. is going to be interesting. It's going to feel like I'm back on the East Coast. So um, I do enjoy when the Red Sox are, you know, they play West Coast games, and I get to actually turn tune in at, a, at what feels like a normal time to a baseball fan. You know, 7 p.m., 1 p.m., maybe 4 p.m. That's going to be fun. Again, thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed. Make sure you share this podcast with your friends. If you're getting into baseball, if you like baseball, if you like the Boston Red Sox, send it to your friends. Get the word out. Um, I really appreciate you guys listening. Thanks a lot. And uh, go Sox.